world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. that we use here right. kind of make kind of makes uh, 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 when you first come on if you don't uh, um, if you don't have everything set up just right there we go that sounds a little well, better you have to have yeah. what's called a period of glitch alleviation glitch alleviation oh I like that I like that a lot <laughs> there you go. That's, so. that, that's a good way to describe it but uh, I think we got our levels uh, Going good right now, and uh, so now we're ready for the outer edge, edge, edge. There you go. There you go. <laughs> sounds good, man. All right. So what's going on with you tonight, Mike? Oh goodness, not much. It's been a busy week, and uh, I'm still awake, so I'm doing good. Um, but uh, you know, uh, I've, I've been seeing some interesting things lately. I was looking at uh, again at some of these weird things, which seem to be to some extent factual that. Ever since the earthquake in uh, Japan that shifted the earth slightly on its axis, and they oh, say right. it, it, it even moved the island of Japan eight feet or something on the crust of the earth. But uh, people have been saying that they're seeing the sun rise and set in the wrong place. Now, you know, this time of year, obviously, the, the sun is further in the southern sky in our hemisphere um, because that's just that's normal. But it seems like it's moved even further to the south than, than normal. Hmm. Um, in his course, and I was looking at some videos today, and and some, some people who you know, I mean, like some Inuit, you know, the Inuit, the Eskimo people. They, these are people who live by the sun, moon, and stars, and they spend their, almost all their time out in the environment. And there's an interesting, there's an interesting uh, video on YouTube with uh, an interview with a bunch of these guys, and and they're saying, look, something's wrong. Uh, one of them says, you know, the sun used to set over there this time of year. Now it sits way over here on the other side of the mountain. You know, uh, uh, the days are different. The tilt of the earth seems different. And these are, you know, I mean, I, I would trust these type of people who observe uh, that type of phenomena as, as a part of their daily life more than I would somebody sitting in an apartment um, <laughs> looking it up on the Internet, you know, looking up like the, the rising and setting of the sun or whatever. Um you know, they they said when the when that quake happened, they even said that that the uh, the the axis of the Earth was changed. They said that the wobble of the planet had increased, whatever that means. It almost sounds like you know when you have a a, t- a top that's spinning mm-hmm. and it starts wobbling, it wobbles right before it does what? 
Well, wobbles before it falls over <laughs> on its right. side. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, it, there's some, some something weird's definitely going on. Um, oh well, I mean, the the Earth has always had uh, uh, a wobble. Right. At the uh, uh, God, I mean, I remember as a kid uh, uh, reading about that and how I mean, the the, the Earth just doesn't. Uh, um, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it is. It's it's tilted slightly, right? And then, and then, as it spins, it also, like you said, you know, if you, it has it has a wobble. Yeah. But it, it, at what point does it does it if the wobble increases? I mean, it's a delicate balance. It's like a top. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a delicate balance. If the wobble reaches a certain point of severity, you will have something calamitous occur. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I ran um, an article, uh, I remember this very clearly, on the uh, Conspiracy Journal newsletter about um, how the, uh, you were talking about the uh, the, the Inuits uh, up north, and this article, uh, they were, was about how they were saying that um, spring was coming sooner than yeah. expected. Yeah. That uh, and and it was like you know you're saying they I mean like the elders uh, in the areas I mean they knew where the sun was supposed to rise when it was supposed to rise you know right. after the uh, after the long winter darkness and that it was uh, uh, it, it was coming up in the wrong place and sooner than expected right and, that, and, well think about this I mean that would mean that the Earth was tilted more severely probably toward the south in some way in some from some angle, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because when you look at how the okay, you know, like in the Arctic, you usually have like the the period of time when there, there's like the midnight sun and all that sort of thing. So for that to be happening, that means that they're being sort of their their region is moving out of that area, or out of that region to some extent, which means that the planet has to be tilting in a different way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I just I wonder if there are any. Uh, and and not being a scientist, I mean, I wouldn't know. Maybe you know, maybe somebody out there listening, you know, would be able to to tell us. But I I just wonder if there are any you know scientific instruments or satellites or anything like that that would be able to report back and say that you know, yeah, this you know something something unusual is happening, mm-hmm. or does it have to? I mean, is it so subtle right now? That only, you know, like I said, you know, right. th- these people who live in extreme climates um, and have been there for, you know, for uh, you know, as long as they've lived and know how everything works can, can right. see these subtle changes. You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, like the global positioning satellites or something, you know, it's not well, well, to, I mean, to detect a change like that. Exactly. But here's the question. Would they tell us? <laughs> I know I've seen some very interesting uh, electromagnetic data in the last few years, actually last year, where they've been ob- observing that uh, what used to be a, a um, the the electromagnetic field of the Earth, the way it's configured as seen from space has changed. In other words, you have a North Pole and a South Pole mm-hmm. in the overall configuration, but now it seems to be splitting into two. Where you're basically having two, two. Uh, uh, it's almost like you, you take the the field and you squeeze it in the middle, and you make a bubble at each end. And right. they're saying that this could be what happens right before a very rapid and extreme pole shift, where the 
the, the change is so fast that the that you for for a moment you know or, or a very short period of time you have two north poles two south poles and you kind of have a lot of chaos as this thing tries to re uh, distribute itself mm-hmm. and uh, again you know th- this this here's what bothers me about this I mean, this is something that actually exists. You can see the data to this. There have been articles done on it in this, these anom- this anomalous uh, um, electromagnetic field stuff that's going on. And when you think about this, that doesn't really sound like a regular pole shift type a- action because a magnetic pole shift and a geological pole shift don't necessarily have to be the same thing. They can oh, be no, totally no. unrelated, two, diff- two different things. So if that's going on, then what could have happened inside the planet? Because supposedly the spinning nickel-iron core generates you know, the electromagnetic field of the Earth. So yeah. what, could cause it, what could cause that field to split into two? What extreme change could take place in the core they could cause that, and it's pretty disturbing to think about, really. Um, you know, I, I I have my ideas about that, and I think that when you go around doing things like creating unknown particles in super colliders and no telling where they end up, you know, you're you're just asking for trouble. But you know, that's just a theory, and and like you, I'm no scientist, but you know, still, there's there's things that are going on that have nothing to do with the so-called global warming theory or, or climate change. Climate change has always happened anyway and always will. But what we're seeing are, are very strange changes in, you know, in the environment in terms of, for instance, the, the, like, like we were just talking about with the, with the uh, axis of the earth possibly and, and then also the magnetic field of the earth. That's weird stuff. And, and that's something that really has, ne- has never really been predicted you know, in terms of, of happening. So, you know, it's like you have to ask yourself, why is this not on the news? Why is no one, where's Michio Kaku, you know, who's like the, the man of the hour, or Bill Nye, the science nerd? I mean, where are, the, where are these people? Why aren't they talking about these things? You have to wonder. Well, you know, I read an article, I can't remember what it was, but uh, they were talking about the... Uh, um, in in the event that say an asteroid, uh, you know, an Earth killer was spotted and it was going to be here in you know pretty short order, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, the people that they interviewed in this article, um, scientists and officials, the ge- the general consensus was that if this was detected, that um, it would be kept from the general public. Till it actually happened, yeah. Of course, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, you know, the 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 general idea was is that you know, it's there. There wasn't anything that anybody's going to be able to do about it. Why warn everybody, say a week in advance, just to have a week of this general pa- panic and chaos? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of that's kind of a disturbing idea. But it's like you said earlier. I mean, you know, would anybody even say anything to us uh, if? some kind of uh, earth-changing event was about to occur. And, you know, according to these guys that were being interviewed, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they, they wouldn't. And, and that's why, you know, that 
it, it amazes me the things that guys like you and I have studied for so long because we were interested in these topics. And so, you know, you do the conspiracy journal and we all know about, uh, you know, we know about all these things like the, the boring machines that actually exist. The, they're actually nuclear powered and, and we have them. They're, the plans exist. They've been built. Photographs exist. They've been used. They've been photographed in use. And they're these huge tunnel boring machines that literally superheat through solid rock. They'll burn a, burn a, a tunnel through solid rock and leave a glass tube behind them as they go. Most of the rock is vaporized. They're nuclear powered. And they've been using these things under the surface of the continents, this continent for sure, for decades now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you, it's amazing to me that they can cover that up from the majority of the people like they do. Okay, so you have to ask yourself, our, okay, if our tax dollars pay for this, which of course you know they did, <laughs> who reaps the benefit when it hits the fan? When the big, big, when the big uh, threat from space comes—asteroids, uh, rogue planet, whatever, whatever it is they're worrying about—when it happens, they're not going to be coming to your house and my house. And say, okay, let's go. We got this entire underground complex nationwide created. And we want you to be there with us. That's not going to happen. You know? Oh no, 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 no. no. They don't. Well, want, well, they don't well, want the well, people to know about it. They don't want us to no. know that they have all this stuff in place because we're not the elite who will reap the benefits of it, <laughs> even uh, though we pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, no. We'll we'll have the benefit of watching them lock the doors, you know, with us yeah, on the outside. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, that's why and them on the inside. That's why they don't tell us a lot of stuff because it's all about them. See, and that goes for a lot of different things. It goes for the economy and what's really going on with the economy. You know, um, we don't, um, they don't really tell you the truth. Like, for instance, don't be surprised if the dollar totally collapses, if there's a domino effect and, and economies collapse around the world this year, this year. Don't be surprised when it happens because we've been in, locked in a, in a, um, a currency war with, uh, Japan, I mean, Japan, excuse me, with China and Russia. Uh, and actually, we have it done it with Japan to some extent, but China and Russia um, for a couple of years now, and that's what's going on with Ukraine. That's what it's all really about. He's he's trying to uh, Putin tried to undermine the petrodollar, which is our dollar, okay, right. as the world currency. Okay. And so we said, okay, we're going to overthrow the government in Ukraine, which is where his his pipelines passed through, and we did. We did that. Yeah, it was underhanded and everything. But, you know, this, this is what goes on, you know, geopolitically. But you don't hear that what it's really about. So once all this stuff, all the dust settles and we keep printing funny money, we keep printing all this worthless paper, sooner or later, our bubble's going to burst too, just like Putin's is now bursting. It's only a matter of time. But they don't talk about that. They want you to go home and, and watch, uh, hungry, hungry housewives and dancing with morons <laughs> and all this other stuff. Don't pay attention to what's really going on in your world, you know. So, I'm sorry. I just I like that title, "Hungry, Hungry Housewives." Yeah, dancing with the morons. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, they, that, that, that's that, that's one I would actually watch. Hungry, Hungry Housewives. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't watch. I don't watch any of that stuff. But boy, I tell you, a title like that, I'd be watching that one. <laughs> well, you think about it. You know, I mean, if it were like you know, new Jello wrestling wives of 
um, you know, Santa Barbara or something. Then you might, Mar- yeah, Miami, Miami. We'll, Miami. We'll, we'll, we'll have, we'll have a throw out for a jackal there, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I mean, you know. You gotta be careful what you wish for on that because you might end up with a bunch of retirees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, got you good. But anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it just bothers me that, that, you know, everything that's done is not done for, it's done for the elite, pretty much. I mean, they they need us because we are the drones. We're the workforce. We're the ones that keep everything going. But when it hits the fan, we're all expendable. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and that's that's the thing that always got me. I mean, you had the, uh, oh gosh, now see, my, my memory is fading. What was the, uh, what was what was the movement just uh, uh, last year that uh, they were camped out like in front of the banks and stuff there in New York and other big uh, uh, cities? Oh gosh, that were uh, um, they were protesting, you know, like the. Um, the various elites and Wall Street and trying to trying to let people know, you know, just what exactly was going on. But the media painted them as a bunch of, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, drug sucking flower, you know, flower children wannabes who just, uh, um, gosh, I can't, I can't. Even, and obviously you can't either now. I'm trying to think right. of it. I, it's ringing the bell, but I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, yeah. See, that's uh, uh, the the hungry, hungry housewives have uh, uh, has just completely moved that. Uh, um, <laughs> it's it's bumped it out of its. Uh, it's, it's bumped us out of our memory. That's right. You know, it's like you know, and that's they see that's a problem when you learn too much. You know, if you learn too much, it it bumps out older stuff. You know. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, that's what they say. It, uh, was it, it was it Wall it was Wall Street something wasn't it? So, it seems like a, I don't I don't remember. Yeah, but but anyway, uh, you know, I mean, here he, uh, these these were the people, you know, and, and mostly they tend to be, you know, younger and uh, you know, part of the alternative community, and they were out there uh, uh, protesting, you know, the the big banks and uh, the the Wall Street shenanigans and all that. Um, very leg- legitimate concerns, and a lot of them were right on the money, but the media just basically trashed them as just being a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, drug-smoking, uh, uh, hippie wannabes, you know, yeah, rather yeah. than, uh, uh, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you go and, uh, and turn around to the other side, where you know you had uh, uh, the, the the protesters out there in favor of uh, Wall Street and the bankers and and uh, 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 protesting against the government trying to uh, arrest you know like the CEOs and and all these uh, people on Wall Street who brought down the economy in what was it two thousand and eight I think you know yeah. then the media was like oh stop picking on these poor innocent bankers and and wall street brokers they were just trying to make some money yeah well you know that's what kills me here here's the thing corrupt stuff like you know uh lehman brothers yeah i'll call them out you know people people who go to the the, okay they screw up they shaft people then they go begging to the government and get billions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars in bailouts and then they turn right around and start doing it again and get away with it. 
Yeah. Okay. Occupy, yeah. Occupy Wall Street. But, Occupy but, Wall but Street. But see, I don't like to Occupy crap either. Yeah. I think well, that mostly they're anarchists and communists who, you know, that it, it's neither yeah, side. See, that's what. That's what the media wants you to think. No, no, though. seriously. I mean, I, I looked into that. But here, but but you know, the thing is, it's the people in the middle who get screwed always. But you know, they're the ones that are getting screwed. You know, those people, those Occupy people, most of those people never had a job, or if they did, you know, it was nothing major. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything, but let's just face it: they aren't career people. Okay, they're they're people who like to raise hell and. And bitch and moan and feel like they're special outsiders. But what about the people that go to work every day? What about all the middle class people who, who struggle and pay all the taxes and keep everybody going? Whether it's the government on one side or the, or the, uh, occupy people on the other. It's the middle class that keeps everybody going. You that's know? right. That's right. Well, and that, and see, and that's just it, though. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, say what you say what you do, you know, about the uh, uh, the Occupy Wall Street people, because you know, I, yeah, I, there probably are, like you said, you know, a lot of them in there who, who are just like that. But yeah. I think that they were bringing up legitimate concerns. Oh that yeah, were deliberate that were deliberately buried. They were know, by, and what they what the they media. did. There were those the, there were those there who were bringing up legitimate concerns, but they were. But as a movement, they were infiltrated by, oh, anarch- yeah. by anarchists, by communists. I mean, openly. People who were openly, you know, calling yeah. for, you know, overthrow of this and that. You know, th- it, when you, when, when groups, when something like that was, is that disorganized and it allows itself to be infiltrated by all these various groups, then, uh, it's, it's going to be doomed. Well, and I have no doubt that they were being infiltrated also by, um, what, what, what are they called? Agent provocateurs. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. People who go in there who deliberately, you know, go to, uh, uh, um, uh, to, to, to cause internal chaos, just like you were, to what you were talking about, anarchy and uh, oh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and stuff like that. Because, like you said, you know, I mean, you're right. I mean, the the middle class, you know, those of us who you know go to work every day and uh, uh, pay our taxes, everything like that. Uh, you know, unless you just really go out of your way to try and pay attention to this kind of stuff, you're not going to hear that from the media. You know, right. you, uh, most people are deliberately kept in the dark exactly. about uh, what's being said. Instead, you get smear campaigns. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That That's how they want to shut you up. In our society today, that's the main way they try to shut you up. With, you're talking about anomalies, anomalous mm-hmm. things, conspiracies. Um, uh, people who are do, do, you know engaged in wrongdoing at any level of government or society, the first thing is the personal attack. That's oh, that's yep. the and, and the last thing is the personal attack. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like uh, right now. Uh, I'm in the process of uh, of, of taking a uh, an online class um, called uh, psychiatry and the, the study of, uh, uh, parapsychology and anomalous events. And it's, it, it's a very interesting class. And, uh, the thing that has, uh, really, uh, I've really noticed is that there are practically no representation from the, the Western world, 
um, uh, in this. In the United States, there is hardly anybody. Most of the uh, uh, the doctors and accredited people are coming from, especially uh, South America. Um, uh, and and one of the discussions was that, especially here in the United States, is that if um, you know if, if if you have you know your PhD or a doctor or anything like that, and you show any interest in anything uh, along those lines, then your ass is grass uh, career-wise. I mean, you just might you just might as well uh, put your diploma away. And uh, uh, start uh, 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 asking people if they want fries with that. Yeah, and yeah. and what and, and and that's exactly you know what what you just brought out is that um, you know you could be a Nobel Prize winner or the smartest person in the world, and if you expressed interest in parapsychology or or, or anything along those lines, then people will start digging up uh, things that you did when you were a, in junior high school. And, uh, yep. and and using that to, to smear your name across the internet or whatever, you know. So I mean, that's it's it's the exact same thing, and we see that being played, that that hand being played, um, all across the board when it comes to anything. When it comes to you know, like what we were just talking about, the Occupy Wall Street, uh, the the uh, the the middle class who are just trying to get by, uh, 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 what what have you. You yeah. know, it, 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 it's, it's the favorite thing to do is, you know, rather than looking at, looking at what you have to say, um, you know, say like, you know, with, with parapsychology, you know, actually using, uh, a, a, a good scientific methods to look at it. Oh, no, you don't do that. Let's just attack the person. Well, I mean, think about it, Tim. I mean, we talked about this before. Academia in particular is very, very mm-hmm. guilty of this. And that's when anybody challenges the current mode of thought, the current accepted theories of any discipline. Um, they're, they're attacked and vilified. And even often the people that are attacked and even destroyed in their career are the ones who are proved correct later. Uh, like, you know, like Alfred uh, Wegener, for instance, mm-hmm. and his continental drift theory, which of course became plate tectonics. But, it, but that was 30, 40 years later. Meanwhile, that guy was destroyed. His, you know, right. but they, he, he's not the only one. It, it's happened many times, and you know, it goes on today. And uh, it, it, it's an innate arrogance, and it's also the—I uh, hate to say it—but it, it's a, it's a primate activity. It's the protection of uh, territory, territory, territorial uh, aggression. I guess is what you could call it. Um, you're stepping on my toes. You're you're infringing on the on the old dogs. You know, we've got things set up like we like it. it that's what it is, and it, and it does exist in science, and it does exi- exist in academia. And anybody that says it doesn't is a liar. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, um, it's almost time for our bottom of the hour break. Why don't you tell us about uh, our, our guest uh, uh, before we uh, go away for a few minutes? All righty. Well, tonight we have a very special guest, friend of the show. He actually was on our other show with us before we started this show. And his name is Robert Morningstar. Robert is a uh, uh, UFO guy, conspiracy expert, a GFK assassination uh, expert, uh, moon, uh, lunar anomalies, just all kinds of stuff. He he uh, he's he's got a, a you know geopolitics, everything. So so we never run out of things to talk about with Robert. And uh, um, so 
I guess we're going to go ahead and go to break, and then I guess we'll bring Robert on. And uh, so y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back with with a very special guest, Robert Morningstar. So stay tuned. That's right. You're listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Yeah, that too. Professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 
954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Mental disorders are common in the United States and internationally. An estimate 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older suffer from some sort of mental illness. Now, this figure translates to 57.7 million people who suffer from some sort of mental breakdown. If you find yourself laying in bed on a Sunday night hearing voices while you're trying to sleep, well, it might not be that demonic being from another dimension trying to kill you where you sleep. It might just be your mental illness starting to kick in. So if you're out of meds for the night, then I have just the thing. Come listen to my show, The Jackal's Head. You can check out our Listen Live page only on www.psn-radio.com. See you there. This ad has been paid for by The Jackal's Head and the War on Terror. War. It's fantastic. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Glad to be good, here. Good. It's such a fine morning. 
Yes, it is, Rick. isn't it? Go I think I hear a cricket. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, I wow, a, that's cool. I have a cricketarium. Uh, you're going to have to put up with that. That's cool. That's I think it's great. It's very it's tranquilizing to people. My my clients come and they're just really calm and people are just thrilled to go into an apartment in New York City and hear crickets. Cool. They drive me crazy. Yeah, no, yeah I've, I've never heard of a of a cricketarium. Well, maybe well, maybe at the, maybe at the bait shop, but oh uh, uh, well, <laughs> it, it's I fell in love with their sound uh, when I had a gecko lizard, and you know I'd buy thirty of them, and the sounds would be all over, and it'd be really beautiful. And then as days went by, it'd be less and less, and fewer and fewer, because the gecko was eating them. Yeah. And then I decided, well, you know, I need to have a dedicated cricketarium. Well, I tell you, I don't remember the name of the guy who did this, but there was a guy uh, a few years back who recorded a bunch of crickets, like a whole chorus of crickets, thousands and thousands, maybe millions of them singing. And then he slowed it down, like uh-huh. way, way down the audio. And it sounds like some sort of uh, choir of heavenly voices. It's unbelievable what it sounds well, like. I'll tell you, Mike, they are very beautiful creatures. They're very clean. They care about each other. They congregate. When one dies, it's a very interesting thing to see. They, when do they like congregate and like eat them? Yeah, no, they don't eat them. They they kind of pray and they keep oh. company and hold them up and help each other. You know, when um, when there's a, a pupa about to give birth and they're struggling yep. to get out, the other crickets come and hold the shell. It's they're wonderful creatures. That's pretty um, cool. We also have beetles. It all started with the gecko, and so we the gecko ate uh, you know crickets, and he ate worms, and he ate beetles, and so we had this whole environment in a vivarium. Then I just then uh, my girlfriend liked the, the beetles. They're beautiful creatures too, and so uh, we have a beetlearium, a cricketarium, and a vivarium. Well, I tell you, what, if you want to find the stuff, there's a guy out there called his name's Jim Wilson. I, I just looked it up, and I've actually got it in my iTunes now, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Wilson, God's Chorus of Crickets, and he, you know, swears that this is really slowed down cricket song. I would love. And to of hear course, the, the critics have come out. Oh, it's a hoax, blah blah uh, blah. But but apparently, uh, he has proven that it's not a hoax. Mm-hmm. It really is that, and it's like a whole album of these crickets singing. It's really eerie, very yeah. strangely beautiful. So yeah, check that out, Jim Wilson. Well, you God's know the reason. The reason I have them, the reason I have all of these creatures is I'm very interested in interspecies communication because when the day comes that uh, you individually have your extraterrestrial experience or alien experience and the various kinds of them, that's interspecies communication. I've been studying that since the time of John Lilly, Mm. communicating with the dolphins. And I I actually heard, I saw films of John Lilly teaching... Ina, the, the dolphin's name was Ina, and he got Ina to talk. And I heard Ina say, Ina, hello, Dr. Lily. Wow. Swear to God. So this U.S. Navy program, John Lilly's program, mm-hmm. was precisely about the subject that we're talking about. They right. were trying right. to develop a protocol for establishing contact with another species, and the dolphin turned out to be... the the uh, the closest one, actually, you know, as far right. as intelligence and communications, 
And dolphins uh, communicate uh, really with uh, clicks and beeps and sounds and whistles, and they they speak in stereo simultaneously. They'll be mm. speaking and listening at the same time. And so I'm I'm very intrigued with this cricket uh, study that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually uh, music. Jim Wilson, uh, what it's called again? God's something or other course of crickets. Uh, God's Course of Crickets, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Wilson is the guy's name, so check it out. But, you know, speaking of interspecies communication, if there are any aliens, uh, uh, wombats, any uh, any strange creatures out there tonight that want to talk to us, you can call us at 786-245-8127. 786-245-8127. Uh, you can also reach us at facebook.com slash the Outer Edge Radio. Facebook.com slash the Outer Edge Radio. You can go to psn-radio.com and chat live in the chat room during the show. But you probably won't be talking to us because we generally don't dwell there, uh, Tim and I. But uh, you can still go there and talk to other people who are listening to the show. But anyway, call in number, 786-245-8127. So maybe some crickets will call in. Who knows? <laughs> you know, this reminds me of one of the most embarrassing, the most embarrassing um, press conference that NASA ever had. Uh they had a press conference where they were open to questions from journalists all over the world, right? So they're on the Internet and they're receiving calls. And some fellow calls up as a reporter and he says to them, um, when are you going to tell the people about six-foot-tall crickets on the moon? Oh. <laughs> and what about... And he and this was the killer. The guy was taken aback, and then he added, "And when are you going to tell them about the giant vagina on the far side of the moon?" And they just like they were stunned, and then they just said, "Okay, let's go on to the next question." But you know what? But you know what? There was a basis, in fact, for what this guy was asking, and I knew what he was he meant by the giant vagina on the far side of the moon. I think he was talking about the Mare Orientale. Which is a vast, it's the biggest impact crater on the far side of the moon. It was struck by an asteroid, created two concentric rings of mountains called cordilleras. And the thing is so deep that you could fit Mount Fuji in it. And it's surrounded by mountains. Wow. that are 100 or 200 miles high. But NASA always shows over the, over the head pictures, over the top pictures, so you don't get the, the, the altitude. And I found one picture from Clementine, which is a U.S. Navy project, which is a slant, yeah. uh, slant view, a uh, picture of the area with the sunlight hitting and creating shadows. And the mountains right. look, if you put your four fingers straight up, they look like that, like four fingers on. Wow. It's on the uh, eastern so, side yep. of the. So it's on the eastern well, side you, of the well, Orient, you, Oriental Basin. Well, if you have that that uh, angled shot, uh, send it mm-hmm. to us. We'll put it on the Facebook page. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I can't switch off Skype and go to it now, but I, I will no, send no. it to you. Do it. Yeah. yeah, do it after the show. I'll, I'll put it up on yeah. the on the Facebook. Page. Right. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we so, uh, so speaking, Mike, you did you did put up uh, uh, some photographs oh, yeah. that uh, that yes. uh, Robert uh, sent us uh, earlier, yeah. and if anybody uh, wants to see them, uh, they just need to go to our uh, Facebook page. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook. That's right. the yeah, they're page. very they're fascinating photos. 
One of them I call yeah. Big Men on the Moon. I, I discovered that in May. And it was uh, just by chance, uh, it's actually a troll. You know, they, I have trolls, you know, who are pro-NASA and uh, anti-Robert. <laughs> Because uh, I'm not a big fan, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of disinformation and cover up, you know. But this guy worked for for uh, JPL, and these guys, you know, they retire and they they feel like they're gatekeepers and they have a, an obligation to defend NASA's honor. So the guy got on my tail and he started harassing um, radio announcers for having me on, and uh, he tried to disprove my my findings. So he sends me. This, uh, this link to high resolution photos of Apollo 17 that were taken, uh, from orbit by the Apollo mapping camera trying to prove me wrong. And in the process, I was talking about domes and the Mare Imbrium, which are quite obvious. They're, they're in the Apollo 17 photos or in the Apollo 14 photos. So he sends me this magazine trying to say, oh, it's just a bunch of mounds. And I open it up, and there are four pictures of it. And it looked like the astronauts saw the craft and maneuvered in such a way as to take four pictures with the, those quote-unquote mounds. I call domes, double domes. And, I, and instead of debunking me, he gave me three more pictures that I didn't have. Right, so I was able to map it. So in the process, I start going through other pictures in the magazine, and some of them are kind of wrapping around the that edge of the moon. You know, the the limb of the moon. We see one face of the moon all the time, and then the photos. Of course, it's from an orbiting spacecraft. They're going around around the bend, as I call it, and I see this string of lights that look to me like a string of pearls. I said, "Whoa, what is that?" So I start following. I go into the next picture, and it's there, but it's in another place. And I go into the next picture, and it's there in another place, changing angles. So I'm following the string of pearls uh, spacecraft, as I call it. All of a sudden, it goes around the bend, and six space stations appeared. And I was flabbergasted. I keep going, and then I found that tower. I look, you know, into it. The interesting thing about these photos is when you – they look like a typical uh, NASA moon photo – with mm-hmm. a totally black sky and, you know, a, right. a pretty good uh, picture of the moon. But when I zoomed in really tight, tighter and tighter to the edge of the moon, I was looking at the horizon, I saw stars starting to appear. And then I said, my God, these are the first pictures I've ever seen from NASA, moon pictures that show the stars. So yeah. then I find this the string of pearls, I'm following it in three pictures, and all of a sudden, the fourth picture, it's there, it's in another place, and then the other uh, space stations, that's all I can call them, the large well, I'd like space to see that. I'd like to see that. So if you have, if you have that one, send that one yeah. to you. Yeah, hey, I'll listen, send that to and, and you, yeah. you brought something up that, you know, it's always been a pet peeve of mine, which is, you know, people acting like we didn't go to the moon, which is... Just oh, absurd because yeah. obviously we went, you know. But but yeah. they always have these really lame arguments. They'll say things like, "Well, notice how white the the surface is where the astronauts are walking. That can't mm-hmm. be real. That's a studio. That's studio lighting. And see, you don't see any stars. The sky is black. Okay, you know. First of all, there's almost there's very little atmosphere on the moon, so the light, the sunlight hitting the surface of the moon is extremely bright. Yeah. Extremely harsh and undiluted. That's the first yeah. thing. 
The uh-huh. second thing is, okay, if you're in an extremely bright environment like the surface of the moon when the sunlight mm-hmm. is shining directly on it, right. then that sky, the glare from the surface is going to negate any star shine. Mm-hmm. You know what I well, mean? Well, in so, some, in some hey, uh, g- gentlemen, let me let me interrupt you for just a second for uh, for our listeners who would like to see some of these pictures that uh, that Robert's talking about. Uh, we have some of them up on our Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com uh, slash the Outer Edge Radio. Again, that's facebook.com the Outer Edge Radio. So uh, go and take them out. Sorry to uh, interrupt you, but I wanted uh, everyone yeah. out there to uh, yeah, you know, if you're interested Robert, in seeing it, uh, go there. That's, yeah, Rob, that's, I was mainly talking about you know the the, the Apollo so, shots. Yes. I, I realize you're going to see the stars. For instance, let's say if you're on, uh, around the the cusp, say you're getting to where the if you have some NASA photos mm-hmm. that you know that we didn't see with the Apollo yeah. missions, mm-hmm. then you're going to probably see some stars because you're going to yeah. see twilight areas and things mm-hmm. like that. So, well, let me let me clarify that. For years and years and years, I've been studying uh, the Apollo. Photographs, sur- lunar surface photos, and the orbital photos. Right. And as I began to uh, improve my skills, you know, 15 years ago, I started to get pretty good at computer imaging enhancement. And as I, I tried to enhance the the sky in those lunar surface photos, I started to see that it was radically blacked out with black marker. You could see the streaks, and I was said to myself, wow. "Why wouldn't NASA want us to see the stars?" And then I got pondering, "What is it?" Then it then it hit me: the constellations that we see on Earth are the same constellations that we see on the Moon. So if they took a picture right. of the sky and some anomalous light or lights were in the sky, we'd say, "Hey, what's that? Those aren't stars." Yeah. Well, that's well, actually just, what turned out. What turned it turned out to be, and then I, I found photos. This. Yeah, I Go mean, ahead. they could have there could have been craft in the sky that they didn't exactly. want people to see. And exactly. once you start blacking out the craft, you're going to have these big black gaps. So you might as well go ahead and right. black out everything. Well, you know what? They actually black out everything uh, over the edge, and at times they they the marker runs over uh, a terrain feature and then when I enhance it I can see that the terrain feature was a rise or a mound that's been blacked out so they kind of smooth out the entire area and I say uh, as I lectured today with the New York Disclosure Group I uh, showed a film called The Revelation of Apollo which is based around a lecture I did in San Francisco at the Secret Space, Con- Con- uh, Secret Space Program Breakaway Civilization Conference and um, I was discussing this about the absence of stars in some pictures, but the, the, the point is, these pictures have stars, and the reason I recognize these quote-unquote space stations was that they're anomalous shapes, and they're consistent from photo to photo. They change positions, but their shapes are consistent, and then in some, they're very, very far away, and you still see the shapes one of them is intriguing. I mean, they're all intriguing. But one of them looks like the Starship Enterprise. And I said, my God, you know, they must have fed this to Roddenberry. And then that when I found that uh, the Moon Racer, that blue mm-hmm. UFO, and yeah. I saw it's kind of, uh, I would call it a catamaran design, outrigger, 
Right. I said to myself, my God, they must have fed that to George uh, Lucas and Spielberg and Star Wars because it looked like a, a prototype for the X-Wing fighter or even the Millennium Falcon. Right. But the, the one space station that really intrigued me is, I call it the Gear Space Station. And this is a gear-shaped uh, ring that had uh, 18 uh, gears on the, 18 teeth or gaps on, on the outer ring and 12 on the inside. And I said to myself, my Lord, what an amazing design for a space, space station, the most efficient uh, design for a space station, which would have 12 uh, docking bays on the inner side of the ring. You know, like the airliners uh, at our airports, the way they come into a terminal and very they're circular, they bring the airplanes around to, to meet the, um, the uh, boarding ramps. Right. Well, if right. you took that into space, it would be the most brilliant design uh, for a space station to hold the, the greatest capacity of craft. And I counted the teeth on the gears on the outer ring and the inner ring, and there were 18 bays on the outside and 12 bays on the inside, which leads to the possibility of holding 30, 30 spacecraft in that one space station. And... Um, then I discovered the first picture of what I would call these, um, let's call them space stations. Uh, the first one uh, I found was taken by Edgar Mitchell in Apollo 14. And the way I recognized it or found it was really interesting. I read the uh, senior manager uh, reports, NASA senior manager reports. The, the, after the missions, they put out these books. That had all the missions, the mission hours, the profile, mission profiles. So I was reading about this task that Edgar Mitchell had, which was to sit, stand in one position and turn and shoot photographs 360 degrees around so that they could join the photographs uh, when they got back to Earth, join them and make them gigantic and make a room into which an astronaut could walk in and stand in the room and look around, all around the 360-degree panorama of the position where Edgar Mitchell was. Now, as I'm going through the pictures, you know, you, you're supposed to join them at the edges. So I'm looking at the photos, and I'm going, one, and they're thumbnails, right? And all of a sudden, I saw a picture of a unique-looking rock. And then in the next picture, the rock appeared again, but the rock was bigger. I said to myself, wait a second. He was supposed to take single pictures that join at the edge so they make the panorama. Why did he take two pictures of this rock? And why is this, this second picture of the rock much closer? As if he ran from his position or walked from his position to get closer to that rock. So it was bigger. So let me see that. And when I clicked it on, I looked and in the sky I saw this blip. And I went into it and it was this huge structure that I had seen before in a 1959 photograph taken by an astronomer named uh, Jesse Wilson. And this goes back to my childhood here in New York City. In 1959, I was attending a parochial school in New York City. And we used to have breaks at lunchtime to go out and play in the street. And my friend Dennis Healy said to me, Hey, Robert, did you hear about the flying saucers on the moon? I said, No, what? What is that? He said, Oh, you know, at breakfast today, my father and I were listening to the radio and they said that some astronomer in New Jersey had seen a, a, a lot of flying saucers coming off the moon. And I said, really? How many? He said, oh, I don't know how many, but a lot. And he took a picture. 
I said, really? Then it'll probably be on the news. So we sat, you know, by the news, uh, CBS and ABC News that night, the next night, the next night. It never came. And lo and behold, in 2005, I'm going through the Blue Book files, and I find the Jesse Wilson photograph. But when I look at it, it's kind of strange. The Mare Christium was in the wrong place, and it looked like a bunch of meteors going under the moon. And I said, wait a second. This, you know, whenever I see some kind of strange anomaly like that, I was like, wait a minute, what's, what's the reason for this? So I enlarge the picture, I bring it up, and sure is uh, sure shooting. The Mare Christium is in the wrong place. It's on the bottom of the moon, and it's, you know, it's really the eye of the man on the moon, the Mare Christium. It's a perfectly circular Mare uh, in the, what we would, the northeast quadrant of the moon, just before it wraps around. And I turn it over, and my Lord, I see, I counted 34 objects rising from the northern highlands of the moon and going right. past a much larger object, almost as if in review, of a mothership. And this was the same shape as this, the thing in the Jesse Wilson photograph. So I have concluded... But there is a presence on the moon. There is a mothership or space stations and vast fleets of uh, either scout ships or medium-sized uh, flying saucers. Now, the interesting thing is this. The, the upside-down picture um, kind of obfuscates what they really are because in the upside-down picture, it looks like a bunch of rocks falling off the bottom of the moon. But when you turn the picture over, you can see... These are objects rising. Sure, and that's how they trick you too, because but obviously uh, the moon's yeah. uh, an object in space. Uh-huh. Anything that leaves the surface is falling away from it. From yes, it, true. It's all perspective, you know. It's true. But yeah. here's the here's the deal. They were in two segments, you know, like uh, fifteen and sixteen, fifteen here, sixteen there. But the the trajectories they're following each other, right? And I put my finger on the farthest one and track it back and ran my finger down to where they were coming from they were rising from the area where Apollo 17 landed near the Taurus Littrow Valley so oh that's interesting I, yeah and uh, you know there's a lot of lunar uh, orbiter photographs that show white dots all over the place oh yeah they say oh those are you know uh uh, uh, data drops, as we call them today, but they're aggregated in clusters that are geometric, and it seems like, uh, to me, is it wow? That's a bunch of flying saucers on the surface. In other lunar fo- uh, orbiter photos, I found two black triangular uh, spacecraft that were had landed near a crater called uh, Euler Euler Crater. And so I started tracking this black triangle, and I found this black triangle uh, has, was was shot in orbit by one of our space shuttles back around 2008. And it appeared in the New York Times in this really interesting article. It was a color photo, and the object is obviously there. And the the title of um, of the of the article in the New York Times was um, something about. How, how to deal with space junk. 
right? That was the subject. There's so many satellites up there. There's all this debris flying around. How are we going to do with, with deal with space junk? But the New York Times leaked this really great photo of this black triangle uh, UFO. And it's very similar to the black triangle that was seen zipping all over Belgium, 1989, 1990, 91. So we have company. We were scared. You know, you have to wonder about that. I mean, obviously there's things, there are things going on, but when I, when I think about the triangles, to me, they, from stories I've heard, they almost sound more like they're black projects, like a secret space navy or whatever, however you want to call Uh, it. Yes, Um, I, I believe that that we've reverse engineered black triangles, but the black triangles have have been here over the earth for a very very long time. And I'm going to tell you something I discovered with regard to the Battle of L.A. You know the yeah. you know the Battle of L.A. photo with all the spotlights yeah. going up. Well, I yep. found a very high quality photo of the Battle of L.A. and I realized that that flying saucer is actually an illusion being created by the convergence of all the spotlights hitting one section of a giant black triangle. So the the, uh, convergence of all the beams on that one spot is creating a big glare of light coming off this black triangle. But when I looked at the clouds, I can see the tip of the black triangle in the upper left corner and the edge of the wing coming back. Another point, I have eyewitness reports, an eight-year-old boy who saw the craft, and uh, this was on Rens.com, and a very detailed description and interview with this young fellow. Young fellow then, he was eight years old then, and you can imagine how old he is now, you know. Um, or you can calculate. If he was eight in 1942, he was uh, born in 1934. So congratulations, you know. The guy made it too, but he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, be that as it may, he describes that he and his mother saw a lozenge shaped glowing orange object at times. Lozenge shape means diamond shape. It doesn't mean disc, it doesn't mean flying saucer. So, yeah. that testimony and my interpretation of this very high quality photo that I got said to me, wow, we're we're fooling ourselves. We're seeing one little section of this huge, and you know what, they described it as gigantic, and it flew off toward Catalina, and it was chased by a squadron of P-40 Warhawks that were seen flying down there, and apparently, it it was apparently damaged. Uh, You know, we had some good shots and it crashed, apparently crashed off Catalina coastline, and the U.S. Navy recovered it. And that may be why we have, you know, Doritos, you know, the Dorito chip uh, yeah. flying saucer yeah. that we supposedly have. You know, they, they, they give them these really cute names, which also betray the shape of the object, like ox cart. You know, an ox cart has yeah. two oxen yeah. hauling the, the, the cart. And that was the name given to the SR-71 Blackbird, right? The engines would be the oxen, you know? And then the Dorito chip is very famous. Dorito, uh, you know, what is it, potato chip? It's that triangular right. thing. So they named this other secret project Dorito. And uh, 
my cousin was in the U.S. Navy for a very long time, and he was a navigator. And he was the first one to tell me about this back in the 1990s. And um, so there's a lot of black projects, and that's the problem. There are too many black projects, and that's where all the money went. There was um, a lecture given at the uh, San Francisco uh, conference that I attended by Catherine Austin Fitz. And she tracked uh, these black budgets. She used to work for the uh, HUD. And uh, she, she saw a lot of waste and money disappearing in HUD and no accountability and nobody could answer where was the money, where did it go, what was it for. And they said, just forget about it. Don't worry about it. It's okay. We don't, we don't have yeah, to account exactly. for it. And she was, she was yes. like, what are you talking about? So then she started studying more and more, uh, you know, government, or the the budget, or the, uh, what do you call it, the Congressional Budget Office uh, files. Right, and she right. found, she found that between the 80s and the present time, $40 trillion had disappeared and had gone offshore in, mm-hmm. into these untraceable yeah. uh, coffers. And we believe uh, that this is the money that went into the what is called the secret space program to develop right. our and own UFOs. Well, not just that, Robert. We, we, we were talking before you came on the show about a similar topic, which is, of course, the, the underground tunnel complex that, that is underneath the entire continent. But nobody knows yeah. about it, and of course we pay we pay for it when it all hits the fan. When whatever happens happens, uh, those mm-hmm. of us that pay for it, we're not going to get tickets to go down there and hang out. Mm-hmm. I recently you know saw I mean? a YouTube, yeah, I recently saw a YouTube video where this fellow who's been he's been tracking these underground uh, underground highways, and he found right. an entrance. And he went to the entrance and he stopped one of the truck drivers and interviewed him and said, hey, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to Maine. And he was like getting into the tunnel somewhere in Virginia. Yeah, he was like in Kentucky or something. Yeah, he, right. He, That's he, the, said, he said it was like a, a nonstop highway all the way to Maine. To Maine. And he had come from – he had been on, in a, to, from Colorado to mm-hmm. somewhere. I mean, we're talking about these entire, and you could see that it was a real system. You could see up inside the cave. You could see highway up in there, mm-hmm. and these huge tunnels with lights. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was basically driving into a mountain. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe that this, this, yeah, I believe that this is a contingency plan. You know, in in the nineteen fifties, uh, did you grow up? You did you grow up in Boston or New York or an urban place? Uh, no. no, I was I was a okay. Navy brat. I grew up all over the place. Okay. Well, in the 1950s, I was growing growing up in New York. And I remember in the mid-1950s, we would have air air raid sirens and air raid practice. And when those air raid sirens sounded in New York, everybody ran into stores, everybody ran into the subway, everybody hid by cars because it was like, is this an atomic attack? So we were conditioned to hear the air raid siren and just look, look for shelter. Now, and the subways, of course, we all know what happened in London. The subways saved the population in London. They had to sleep under there during the Blitz. So I believe that this vast network of highways, underground cities, and giant lakes, etc., that I've read about is a contingency plan that is, uh, is already ready to receive the population. 
or certain members of the yeah, population. I think, yeah. Uh, in case really of elite, some kind of cataclysm, atomic relatives. war. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that's my that's my take on that. And I do believe uh, Phil Schneider, his, his accounts, his stories, he was a very, yeah. very courageous man, you know, suffered a lot. Yeah, Abs- and, absolutely. Uh, likely murdered. The wonderful yeah. thing, and I do feel, you know, I do feel happy at this time. Uh, the last year has been great. And what I see is that the, the torrent of truth, as I called it, Victor Martinez and I started in 2011, every November 22nd, to do these streams, huge streams. And I got the, the idea to call it the JFK Torrent of Truth. So we did it 2011, 12, 13, and uh, 14. And in the intervening years, so much information has been uh, gleaned by researchers, uh, individuals who are, you know, we're concerned with our country. We're concerned with the, the, the state of the world and what the mentality of the current uh, administrations, and I say administrations plural, has resulted right. in the world. We've put the world in chaos. You know? yeah. Yeah. We've gone into wars uh, for profit, and uh, you know, might does not make right. It's the other way around. Hmm. Right makes might. And I think that we're on the wrong side of history. But we are, the people, the American people are putting us back on the right track. And one of the most, two of the most important documentaries on YouTube tonight are Dark Legacy, George Bush and the Murder of JFK, and this amazing three and a half hour documentary that came out about 10 days ago by a Mr. Francis James Connolly that's called... JFK to 9-11 everything is a rich man's trick and the reason I'm so uh, happy with this is that I was watching it it's just, and he was doing he's doing a great job describing the background the Nazi element the right. the financial uh, the financial angle going back to 1940 and the Union Bank and Prescott Bush and John and John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles and this man's exposing everything and in the middle of it and two hours into it as he's uh, deconstructing the assassination wow he starts to to talk about my work on the JFK assassination and and the key to solving the whole mystery I was so surprised he pops up a picture of me and he says this this really good researcher Robert Morningstar discovered something very important in uh, in 1994-95 and it was that Officer Tippett was killed and a single bullet was put through his head and through his brain and me, Robert Morningstar discovered that it was Tippett's brain that was used for the autopsy and I did discover that in 1992 when now, I found uh, Robert, out that uh, Robert, why yeah? don't you uh, explain to our audience real quick just who Officer Tippett was Okay, uh, everyone knows uh, the President Kennedy died at 1230 uh, in Dealey Plaza, and 45 minutes later, according to the Warren Commission, Lee Harvey Oswald killed uh, a police officer named J.D. Tippett, who was the most mysterious man in the whole JFK assassination. Uh, They said that Oswald shot him with a pistol uh, when the officer stopped him, but 
eyewitnesses who saw the killing, including uh, Aquila Clemens and Diego Benavides, they witnessed it. They saw two men kill Tippett. And one of them was a stocky man in a dark suit. The other guy was a skinny guy in a light tan jacket. Oswald was captured wearing a dark shirt, the one that he was wearing when he's standing in the Texas School Book Depository vestibule watching the the uh, motorcade. So here's the deal. I found out in Jim Bishop's book that Tippett had been shot in the right temple, that the bullet had gone through his brain and hit the back of his skull but had not exited. He cracked it and stuck in there. And it was removed by Dr. Earl Rose. Now, when I read that, what came to me was, A, the brain was intact. And the second and third autopsies of President Kennedy's brain, which people didn't know happened until Douglas Horn discovered this. Douglas Horn was with the Assassination Records Review Board. And he discovered there was the autopsy on Friday. There were x-rays taken on Saturday. Dr. Humes burned his notes on Sunday, claiming that uh, there was blood on them and that he didn't want them to become some kind of, you know, relic. And uh, But then Doug Horn discovered that after President Kennedy was buried on uh, November 25th, that on the following Friday, there was a second brain autopsy. And that's the brain autopsy that's contained in the Warren Commission report. And there's a drawing of the brain. But it shows two intact hemispheres. And everybody knows that President Kennedy's right brain was liquidated, just liquefied. You know, first in the explosion and the rest of it poured out through the hole in the back of his head in the trauma room in, in uh, Dealey Plaza. So I, I think I told you earlier, I, I went to Fordham University and I was in a pre-med program, but then I switched over to psychology, but I still love uh, physiology, anatomy, medicine. I kept studying over all the years. So I know the brain pretty well. So I started reading it and, I'm, and I said, how can they be describing the cerebral peduncles and the hypothalamus and the right hemisphere when there was no right hemisphere? Then I discovered that Tippett had been shot in the in the brain, and I concluded, "Hey, you know, where you know where do you get another brain? There's there you had it." But what I didn't know, what I didn't know, was that Tippett looked so much like President Kennedy that his friends on the Dallas Police Department used to call him Jack and JFK. And that was a, not a nice thing to be called in Dallas in 1963. So they were ribbing him, right? They were, ja- they were jacking right. him up. <laughs> so I found this out from a professor uh, at the University of Hartford named Professor George Michael Avica. And he wrote a book called And We Are All Mortals, taking the last uh, line of President Kennedy's peace speech of June 10th, 1963 at American University. And in that book, Professor Evica gives you the whole history, the secret history of how the Rockefellers and their donations to religious institutions, to churches, created a vast network for spying. And it started with the wars against the Indians and uh, giving them blankets that were contaminated and spying. 
and this network has grown around the world and Oswald was staying on when he went to Russia he was staying at hostels that were funded by the Rockefellers and he went to Russia as a um, a CIA agent he succeeded in infiltrating a radio plant a radio manufacturing plant in Minsk he married the daughter of an MKVD colonel that's like the FBI and he got permission to marry her from her uncle because her parents were dead she was a member of Consomol which is like the communist boy scouts and girl scouts and even though he had defected told the state department that he renounced his citizenship threw his passport to them said he wanted Sylvia's citizenship he marries this girl he goes to the state department says hey, you know I want to go back to the states with my wife you know uh, can you help me out so the state department helped him out by paying for the ticket gave him back his passport and gave a visa to Marina uh, Prusakova that was her maiden name and they let him come back to the United States and this is unheard of a traitor, right, basically? He was painted as a traitor. He defected to the Soviet Union, renounced his American citizenship, and then they allow him to come back to the United States with a wife, and they paid for his trip. So that is totally out of the ordinary, and the only conclusion is that Oswald was sent there to infiltrate Russia, to spy and imagine bringing home the daughter or the, the stepdaughter, adopted daughter of a colonel in the internal security apparatus, the police of the Soviet Union. So I, just, I said it to people, you know, Oswald died for his country. Oswald was a hero. Oswald was a patsy, but Oswald didn't. He held his, his peace because he thought he was going to get a trial. Right. He didn't well, know he was, was going to be murdered. Well, I, t I tell you, Robert, we, we had uh, Adam Go Rightly on the program a few months ago, and he has a new book out about Oswald. Mm -hmm. And he has proof in that book, absolutely, that, that Oswald was a CIA, CIA yeah. operative. Um, there's even a, a thing where when he was in Japan uh, working for the uh, – what was he in? Was it the Army? He was, he was in the Marines. And Marines, was, that's what it was. He was, was a scope Right, he was doing the radio, the, I mean the radar, radar. Uh, stuff. Mm -hmm. But actually, he was spending a lot of time at a at a nightclub, mm -hmm. meeting all the ladies there, and a lot yep. of them were Soviet spies. Yeah. And he, the, uh, they uncovered a uh, um, a medical report mm -hmm. where Oswald actually contracted uh, gonorrhea. Yeah, yep. and, and the report states that he they would cover the cost of treatment. Because he had contracted it in the line of duty. Exactly so. <laughs> yes. I, this is a very well-known story. To those who have studied Oswald, the other part is fascinating is the Oswald doubles uh, story. Not just the Oswald doubles in his later life, but Oswald doubles in his youth. There was a Lee Harvey Oswald and a Lee Oswald. And... Uh, at times he was in Dallas, and other times he was in New York. When he when there was one in New York, there was one in Dallas. When this one went to Dallas, the other one went to uh, South Dakota. 
And a man named John Armstrong dedicated his life to studying this Oswald uh, double story, and he produced uh, a fantastic book. I saw John Armstrong and met him in Dallas in 1994, and when I sat through his presentation and saw the photographs that, that he presented, I was, I was really mind-blown. Oswald was in the Civil Air Patrol, and his mentor in the Civil Air Patrol was uh, David Ferry. David Ferry arranged for Oswald to be uh, to join the Marines and and at underage. He he tried to join at seventeen. I think they let him in at seventeen. And uh, this uh, David Ferry was this kind of like gray presence around Oswald, kind of a controller. Now, here's the interesting thing. Oswald went to Russia, defected, and J. Edgar Hoover found out in 1959 and 60 that someone was using Lee Harvey Oswald's name and uh, renting trucks down south that were being used for shipping arms to uh, anti-Castro Cubans while Oswald was in Russia. My personal belief is that the KGB found out Oswald and that he was uh, a spy. And I believe that they killed the real Oswald there and sent back an Oswald uh, double. And the reason I say that is that having read Robert Oswald, Robert Lee Oswald's um, biography of Lee, it's called Lee, Biography of an Assassin. In the midst of that, he drops a lot of hints and some of them are very explicit, that he didn't think that this guy was his brother. He went to the airport to pick him up. And when he saw him, he said, man, God, is that my brother? He's so scrawny. He's so short. His hair is kinky. He's, and he, he describes, he says, my brother was a very charismatic, bull-necked Marine. And the man I picked up at the airport was two inches too short, even though he was wearing four-inch high cowboy boots. My brother's hair was brown and wavy. This man's hair was kinky. And he goes on. And then he tells uh, another story, which is very enlightening. Marie, Marguerite Oswald uh, had another son besides the, the children of Robert Oswald Sr., she had a son by a previous marriage named John Pick. They were all raised as brothers, and this is a subject that was never discussed outside the family. Right? John Pick was a half-brother, but he never said he's my half-brother. Right? See? It's always his family, his brothers, we're all Oswald. When this guy Oswald comes back from Russia, they had a Thanksgiving dinner, and he took Marina to the dinner. And at the dinner, he starts introducing Marina to everyone, to his mother, Marguerite, this is my mother, Marguerite, this is my brother, Robert, and then he said, this is my half-brother, John. When he said that, the family was aghast. They couldn't believe wow, that, this, that he had said that, which was, as we say, verboten. It was forbidden. It was not something that you spoke about openly. That's another suspicion that... Um, that Robert Oswald had about him. There's something wrong with this guy, you know? And he keeps giving these hints, but then at the, at the end, in the book, he says, yeah, I think my brother did it. But 
the brother that he's thinking about is this guy that he doesn't believe was his brother. Another weird yeah. thing that he describes is having uh, heard about the assassination on the radio, he was working for something he called the ABC Brick Company. Get that, the ABC Brick Company? And he left work. And he went into Dallas when he heard that, uh, you know, that Oswald, his brother, had been picked up. And he describes driving down the highway and a black car coming up alongside him and telling him to pull off the road. And they pull off the road and these two men in black suits and then the black car get out and they say, listen, we know you're, you know, this is terrible and what's happened to you. And they, they took his wallet and they put money in it. They swapped some wallets. He got back in the car. He went off to uh, Dallas to try to see his, his brother who was in, in in the jail. And then there's this... Now, this thing with the wallets is important because at the scene of Tippett's murder, they found a wallet that had the said Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, Oswald was in the theater. He's arrested. He's handcuffed. He's put in the back of the car. And on the way to the police station, as they're driving him, he says to them, he listen, can you loosen this up a bit? It, it's hurting me, but my left, my, my, my leg is getting numb because I'm sitting on my wallet. Huh. And in the wallet, they found a library card. And here's some other interesting, fascinating things. President Kennedy had a briefcase that was uh, taken by Admiral Berkeley, and he listed all the things that were in the briefcase. And some of the things that were in the briefcase were all the James Bond novels that had been written up to that time. Every single Ian Fleming novel on James Bond was being carried in the briefcase by President Kennedy. They find the library card, and they go and check in the library, and they found out that Oswald had removed every... James Bond book available in the Arlington Library that summer. So I said to myself, wow, there's a message here, right? <laughs> what was President Kennedy trying to tell us? The only way to, to find out was to get all of those books. So I started a search in uh, the year 2000 to try to get, you know, the Ian Fleming books, and I found out that the recent publications of the uh, James Bond 007 books have been redacted and a lot of information that was freely available and to the public through Ian Fleming in the 1950s and 60s had been removed from those books. So I started looking for uh, old copies that were, you know, whether, whether hard copies or paperbacks dating back to 1959, 60, 63 and I was able to acquire a lot of them and the story is that uh, Spectre was the mafia. Smirsch is a real thing. Smirsch means it's uh, the, the Russian anti-spy unit of the KGB. Really cool name. Smirsch Spionin means death to spies. So imagine you're a Russian, you hear, who's there? Smirsch Spionin. Death hmm. to spies. You are dead. You are a spy. <laughs> you know? 
So yeah. uh, that is fascinating stuff. But here's another thing that Ian Fleming wrote about. He wrote about the criminal syndicates that uh, British intelligence knew about at that time, and that included, you know, the mafia, Spectre, the Corsican mob, and then he describes the Muhammad Ali syndicate. And he describes it as a Muslim gangster organization that was operating out of Egypt. So you see, the seeds of everything that we are facing now were right, planted right. way back in the 1960s. Okay, uh, uh, gentlemen, let me let me let me stop you here because uh, okay. we need to uh, take a few minutes uh, for a break. So let's uh, let's hold that thought, uh, Robert, because I want to uh, a little bit. I want to learn a little bit more about uh, what you just said. Okay. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and take our break. You're listening to the Outer Edge Radio. Our guest tonight is Robert Morningstar, and you're listening to the PSN Radio Network, so please stay tuned. I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy corksuckers, you have violated my Fargan rights. This Samanambaching country was founded so that the liberties of common patriotic citizens like me could not be taken away by a bunch of Fargan ice holes like yourselves. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him... 
see the top of that thing. Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Only in the forest can you see this. (laughs) But nothing beats the moment you see that. That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Sports. Tonight, our guest is Robert Morningstar. And Robert, before we left on our last break, you were talking about, um, basically, what, uh, what do you call the, the Muslim Mafia? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. The yeah, Muhammad well, Ali what, Syndicate. What, yeah, conti- continue that thought. It's just a passing comment that appears in Casino Royale. Which is actually the first book, and it's actually my favorite book. Uh, let me see. Thunderball is good. From Russia with From Russia with Love is a great book. But you know, the first one, Casino Royale, is an amazing, amazing story. And, and you know, of all the people that have played James Bond, the one who is closest to the James Bond character and personality in uh, in the novels is Timothy Dalton, believe it or not. James Bond was not a a Don Juan. James Bond really cared and fell in love. Uh, In the book, he falls in love with a girl, and he really cares about her, and she falls in love with him, but she is being blackmailed by the KGB because she had a lover or a husband that they were holding imprisoning and forcing her to work for them and it's an amazing story and the characterizations that I've seen by Timothy Dalton come closer to the James Bond of the novels than uh, even Sean Connery as great as he is Um, you know snarky sarcastic uh, womanizer as he is you know people like that but, but the James Bond character is a very loyal patriotic um, a virtuous man. He's not the cold-blooded killer. And of all the James Bonds that I've ever seen, Daniel Craig for me is the worst. He's a reptile. He's you know he's got no emotions. You know it's cold-blooded killer. Uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't, and I couldn't take a black Miss Money Penny. 
honestly. Yeah, yeah. There are limits. There are limits. For me to, yeah, fine, you know, integration, you know, multiculturalism, but, you know, there are limits to... Yeah, well, that, to, well you, just, you want to so, stay true so. to a writer's vision. Exactly. You know, I would think that uh, Ian Fleming would be turning in his grave at what has been done to his movies in recent years. Yeah. So, that's just so, my... So, who, who would you say is the... What, what group would you say is the, is the nearest equivalent to uh, Fleming's fictional Muslim uh, mafia? Oh, well, the Muslim Brotherhood, obviously. Of course. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It had to be. Oh, yeah. He, no doubt, no he, doubt he about just it. called no it the Muhammad it. Ali Syndicate. But yeah. it, obviously he was talking about the Muslim Brotherhood and the uh, the Grand Mufti. I don't know if yeah. people know. who The Grand Mufti was, was the leader of an insurrection against the British in Iraq. And he had to flee when the when the British, uh, you know, just put it down. So he fled to Egypt, and from Egypt he fled to Berlin. And the Grand Mufti met Hitler, and Hitler made him a field marshal in the um, the SS. Hmm. And he organized a Muslim SS that operated in Yugoslavia. And they terrorized Yugoslavia. They were so vile and so vicious, so disgusting that they made the regular German Gestapo officers wretch and vomit and throw up at, at the atrocities that they did. One little story will, will tell you the whole thing. The Muslim SS uh, chief walks into the, the German uh, Gestapo um, officer and he presents him with a basket and the officer thought it was a basket of oysters. And he looks in, and it was human eyes. They were the most vicious and brutal of all the SS uh, that that Hitler had. Now, people don't know SS. SS was uh, foreign troops who were willing to work with uh, with the Germans. There was a Dutch SS. There was a Norwegian SS. There was this Yugoslavian Muslim SS. And so, hey, it was multicultural. As long as they believed in fascism, you know, they got along with Hitler. So here's another interesting thing I was talking about today. How did this mess in the Middle East ever unfold? And I was shocked. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. I was fortunate enough to meet Mr. Heston in 1997 and strike up a friendship that lasted 10 years till he died. We corresponded, uh, sent him books and shared poetry, things like that. And I saw the Ten Commandments and one of the scenes that really stuns everyone is the Exodus. And when I saw that, and as I'm a, I'm a student of film, I said, my God, where did, where did they get all those extras? I mean, Cecil B. DeMille must have been like a general, he, you know, directing thousands of extras. And I said to myself, where did they get those thousands of extras and all those costumes, you know? You know, the, the colorful costumes and the animals and the oxen and the sheep and the ducks and all that. Where did they get that? And so I, in the, the anniversary of it, around 2007, which would be the 50th anniversary of the film, they put out 
the Ten Commandments DVD, and one disc was the making of the Ten Commandments, which ran the film with a narration by a lady who had written the book, describing the scene and what went on to making the scene. Comes to the Exodus scene, and I've been wondering about this like for years and years and years. Where did they get these extras? And the the narrator says, these thousands of extras were played by the Fedayeen tribesmen. The Egyptian government recruited Fedayeen to play the Hebrews leaving wow. Egypt. I almost fell out of my chair. Oh, yeah. I said, my God, what? the hell happened they, they between just didn't 1956 tell who they were <laughs> where they got yeah. Muslims to play Jews cooperatively in making this film and then what's happened now? Well, what happened now is that Yasser Arafat was recruited by the Russians, KGB, to take over the Palestinian movement. Yasser Arafat was not Palestinian. He was an Egyptian. No. But they yes, groomed right. him, they took him to Moscow, Patrice Lumumba University, which they called Terrorist University, because they had to have courses like Bomb Making 101, you know, Subversion 2.3, that kind of thing. So they groomed him there, and they sent him back to the Middle East to, um, to take over the Palestinian movement. And on the way there... They dropped them off in Romania for a little vacation in one of the castles that uh, Ceausescu had. And they fed him a bunch of little boys because yeah, he was exactly. a pedophile. And they and took they films of him. They videoed, exactly. Yes, exactly. They filmed him. They didn't have videos in that in the 60s, but they filmed them well enough that they held these films as blackmail to force him to do their, their will. Yeah. And so the real mess in the Middle East has been created by the Russians who made yep. the deal with Yasser Arafat and hijacked the Muslim Brotherhood and turned and the whole still thing. keeping the, keeping it stirred up yep. to some yep. extent. So yeah, yeah. So that was that was a shocker. I mean, imagine well, looking I, at the Ten Commandments. You see ten thousand, you know, three thousand Fedayeen, and Fedayeens were you know very very um, notorious warriors. Uh, you know, desert yeah. warriors. Mm-hmm. And uh, the government of Egypt got them to play Jews in the Ten Commandments, or Hebrews. There is a distinction. Yeah. There is a big yeah. distinction there. So, Very that's what I'm tracking. That's what I'm tracking. And there is an evil force. There's an evil force rampant on this world. It's anti-human. It hates all humans. And it's using right. religion. It's using religions to it uses destroy. anything it can, Robert. Exactly. Anything it can use to divide people, that's what it does. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You, you know what? Uh, I talked about the Oswald wallet that was found at the um, at the scene of Tippett's murder. Right. You know, this thing in Paris, it is really weird. And I cannot believe that these, you know, terrorists got away with it, made a clean getaway, and left his his ID, his photo ID in the car. Man, yeah. that is really yeah, far-fetched. And why aren't we hearing about the suicide of uh, the chief of police that was investigating it? Do you know about that? Yeah. And yeah. he's a Muslim, too, by the way. I believe. Was he? Was yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. We have that, 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 hasn't gotten, that hasn't gotten a lot of play 
uh, here in no. the United States. And the other part is that he he had taken the job from his friend who had had the job, and he found his body a year or more ago, also suicided with his own gun. Yeah. I'm talking about well, suicide. It remi- well, it reminds you of all the suicides that have been plaguing several several fields, uh, banking, uh, mm-hmm. investment banking. Uh, there's been a plague of suicides among, uh, of course, you know this among various, uh, um, what, what's the word, uh, virologists and, and, and. Oh, yeah, the, experts, that's experts, all, all kinds yeah. of stuff. I mean, you know, yeah, that's for all years. Sorts of medical profession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's as if there's definitely some, something systematic going on with some of this stuff. Some kind of purging. Yeah. Well, we have to be above it. We have to be smart. We have to, we can't fall for these uh, fake uh, inflammatory uh, events, false flag events. Listen, there, we cannot engage in nuclear war. Pre- President Kennedy said we cannot engage in a war where the fruits of victory would be but ashes in the victor's mouth. President Kennedy saved the world from nuclear holocaust, and he paid with his life for it. Mm-hmm. The Pentagon yeah. turned against him. They thought he was a wimp. And uh, Robert and John Kennedy saved the world. And it was really Robert Kennedy, because when, when the, uh, the Pentagon, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told President Kennedy that he should order a first strike nuclear attack on Russia... President Kennedy was overwhelmed and he sunk in his seat and he wept. And they looked at him like, look at this crybaby. And at that point, Robert Kennedy stood up and he talked to them and he said, no, gentlemen, you're not going to do this. You are not going to turn my brother into Tojo. If we were to do this, we would be no better than the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. Yep. So Mike has left the call. I just see Mike disappeared. Yeah, I think he's. Uh, uh, he's back. I think he's okay. He's back. He just yeah, lost yeah, the connection yeah. for a second. I got no. Well, now, uh, what do you? Uh, who do you think then was responsible for um, JFK's assassination? Or you know, I mean, for a lot of the stuff that I've read, it's almost become a uh, all of the above type of situation. Well, yeah, that's. Basically, it was the CIA. The CIA married the mafia in 1959 to kill Castro. They organized the plots against Castro. It was called Operation 40. Operation 40 was being run by George H.W. Bush, who recruited the uh, anti-Castro Cubans. And um, President Kennedy was tearing apart the CIA. He, mm-hmm. he found out the hard way that they were running operations and making policy. That is not the job of the CIA, to make policy. The CIA had a very strict guideline, and it was not supposed to operate inside the United States. That's in the charter. And that was because J. Edgar Hoover, you know, protested when the CIA was formed. He said, no, you can't let them operate in the United States. They are a foreign intelligence operation. And they are a foreign intelligence operation. That's why they're called the Central Intelligence Agency and not the United States Intelligence Agency. Mm-hmm. I have the contract 
that was signed by Reinhard Galen, the head of Hitler's spy network, who surrendered himself. He got approval from the generals, his superior officer, while he was in prisoner of war camp, to try to extricate themselves from being turned over to the Russians because the Russians made no deals with Nazis. Any Nazi they caught, off, you know, gone. So, right. so he, you know, he wanted to save his neck, so he got approval for this plan from his superior officer, and the plan was to offer the American, the U.S. Army, their spy network in Eastern Europe and in Russia, their documents, their methodology, in return for safe haven. The Russians were asking for all the paperclip, all the paperclip Nazis that we brought here. The Russians had a list of all of them, and they said, you know, we want these guys. Do you have them? No, we don't have them. Huh. Yeah. So we shielded them because that, you know, they were brilliant. The Nazis were brilliant psychologists, and they scared the hell out of the U.S. Army, and uh, they made them more afraid of uh, the communists than they were of the Nazis that had just defeated. So they made a deal with the devil, and, we inf and they infiltrated us. And as I said in uh, San Francisco, look, it's a very simple equation. We hired the Nazis to teach us how to do it. We learned to do it how the Nazis did it. The Nazis died, but we still do it like the Nazis taught us how to do it. So what does yeah. it make of us? Mm. Yeah. And then oh, as yeah. far as the killing of President Kennedy and the Nazi connection, as I said, and look, I, I have a book here called Family of Secrets written by Russell Baker, you know, Russ Baker. And if you turn to page 83 of that book, and I, it was just instinct how I found this somebody heard me on the radio with um, with another great host you know Caravan to Midnight yeah. he called me up and he said I gotta meet you I heard you on the radio I wanna come down to New York I have a book for you I, I think you're really gonna like it you know I, I, I'm just I'm just thrilled by what you said on on, uh, on, on, the, on the show I have to meet you. And I said, okay, you know, I get calls like that. And then two days later, he said, I'm in New York. I'm here for some treatment. I'm suffering from cancer. I'm at New York Presbyterian, but I'm here and I brought the book and I'd like to meet you. And I said, oh my God, you know, if the guy really, you know, he's being treated, drove down two and a half hours, he's got a book, okay, I'll meet you. So I met him and we, we hit it off as friends. He gives me the book. I bring the book. I'm looking at it, Family of Secrets. And something says to me, Look up Operation 40. So I go in the index. I find Operation 40. It says page 83. I go to page 83, and I had a really weird experience. I hit the page, and my eyes read two paragraphs at the same time. It's You know, you ever cross your eyes? Imagine your eyes going one up and one down and simultaneously <laughs> reading two paragraphs. And the first paragraph said that... Um, David Atlee Phillips and the E. Howard Hunt always had trouble explaining where they were on November 22nd, 1963, right? And that they had to, you know, fend off those questions throughout their careers. But that at the end of his life, God bless him. May I say this? God bless E. Howard Hunt. He found his conscience on his deathbed. He told his son the truth. He taped it. He said it. Lyndon Johnson and Cord Meyer killed President Kennedy. They drew up the plans. But 
the paragraph, skip the paragraph, and what it said was that um, a man named uh, Escalante, hmm. who was Castro's top spy and has had a fantastic reputation for the spy network that he set up within the United States, found out that the murder of President Kennedy had been funded that the, by Texas oil men and that the principals in organizing the assassination and getting the money to pay the assassins were George H.W. Bush and uh, Thomas Crichton, hmm. Jack Crichton. Well, have you so, ever seen the photo that allegedly shows Bush Sr. at Daily Plaza? Yes. Yes, I've seen, I have, we have four photos. And I believe I have a photo of him in the Alkins picture. I've been looking at this guy in the Alkins photo for 22 years. And, you know, the Alkins photo is really doctored over. It's really disgustingly doctored over to cover up mafia uh, operatives who are there in front of the Texas School Book Depository. Yeah. And if you go and really scrutinize this photograph, you're going to find something really, you know, I think it's it's horrible to cover up the um, the mafia operatives that were in the picture. They overlaid a picture of somebody else to cover up the guys they didn't want us to see. And if you look, you'll see a picture of a little old lady with glasses and a nurse's hat. Uh-huh. And that little old lady is Oswald's mother. They pasted Oswald's mother into the Alkins photograph. She's wow. right in front of the stairs. Oswald is in the corner, the left side of the vestibule, looking right out at the motorcade as the Secret Service men are looking into the vestibule directly at wow. it. Now, the photograph has been cropped for years the left side of it is cut out, but I have I have seen a pristine copy of it, and I have a copy that a friend uh, gave to me, and I have a laser copy of it. And there's a man up on up toward the grassy knoll, just right. by by the sign, and he's got his arm up like the pumping action, you know, like uh, pumping action. You know, like uh, grabbing up. You've seen railroad movies, so the, right? And you, he reaches up and he pulls down on the the steam whistle or the brake. Oh, sure, sure. Well, he's right. got the fist. He's got a fist up. He's got something in his hand. Might be a walkie-talkie. He's looking under his armpit at the victim, President Kennedy, who's already been shot in the throat. You can see him through the windshield of the car, and the arm is saying to me, "Fire." Fire! You know how uh, army guys <coughs> hand signal? They'll put up the arm and say, and pump it and fire, mm-hmm. right? So I've been looking at this fellow for 22 years. A fellow in a dark suit, a white shirt, a thin dark tie. His his um, his jacket is open. You can see uh, a shoulder holster, a silver object there. And the weirdest thing is he's standing right next to another man. And the other man is not looking at President Kennedy. He's looking up toward the Daltex building. And he's wearing uh, a fedora hat with a black headband. 
And when I enlarged this photograph, I realized that it's, it was doctored in such a way as to make the guy with his arm pumping up, pumping? Yeah, yeah. To appear that he's wearing a hat too. But when I look closely at the picture, it's two guys with their heads in the same hat. Hmm. How's that work? Talk about doc- <laughs> well doctoring because they're covering up his identity. And as I enhance the photograph and look at the face, looking at President Kennedy, and now we've found these other three photographs and the movie. I found the movie, a news a newsreel that shows the same guy standing by the Texas School Book Depository. And you know what he looks like he's doing to me? He looks to me like he's talking on a cell phone. And and who had cell phones in 1963? It's, no George, Bu- it's George Bush. No one had a greater reason for killing President Kennedy besides Johnson. But as far as Vendetta was concerned, no one had more hatred for President Kennedy than the Bushes. The well, it, Bush, it always seemed like there were like several different possibilities going on here. Yeah. Um, you know, in other words... It could have been a, a a joint effort, I guess. Yes, that's exactly my point. Yes, it is was a joint effort. It was a convention of hatred. The convention of hatred was held in Dealey Plaza. And the Ku Klux Klan, the cops in the Ku Klux Klan, the Minutemen, the Mafia, and the CIA operatives. The Operation 40. Uh, I'm, I'm quite certain now that it was Frank Sturgis, one of the shooters on the grassy knoll. I'm pretty sure it was Frank Sturgis. And uh, he confessed it to Marita Lorenz. That was a girlfriend of his. And she was in Dallas, and she was going around to meetings with him, and then all of a sudden she got the idea, oh, my God, they're going to kill President Kennedy. I don't want to be around here. So she split Dallas, and she left. And after the assassination, she met up with Frank Sturgis, Frank uh, Fiorini, and uh, he said to her, you should have been there, you know? We killed that son of a bitch. Yeah. Wow. And uh, Uh, another thing is the Kennedy uh, assassination of uh, Robert. Robert, uh, unfortunately, I am going to have to stop you here because we are almost out of time. And uh, before we go, I wanted to uh, uh, give you a chance to tell our audience where uh, they may be able to uh, find out more about you, uh, you find you online, places like that. Sure. Well, um, you can go to my Facebook page, which is where I post everything. You know, everything of importance, I just put it out there because it's the best way to protect the information and to protect myself. I've learned that, you know, right, for, right. for years and years and years. And then there's UFO Digest, where I'm the associate editor, and I publish uh, irregularly now, but uh, my own stuff. Uh, but I do, um, I, I look for talent and uh, people who send uh, me really good articles. I, I try to support them. And um, my email is robert.morningstar at gmail.com. Very difficult. <laughs> Robert.morningstar <laughs> at gmail.com. And I thank you, right. and Thank we, you. Listen, we you. appreciate you being here, and uh, we've got to have you back on more often. Thank you. Yes, definitely, definitely, because, I mean, this uh, the time has just uh, uh, shot by here, and there's a lot more questions that I wanted to ask you. So uh, uh, please, uh, please come back again in the near future. I will. Thank you very much. Oh. All right. Well, uh, Mike, 
Thanks uh, for everything tonight. It's yep. a great show. Good show. And uh, everyone listening, thank you for uh, listening, and be sure to tune in again next week for more of The Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. Uh, Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. I like that fade out with the crickets. (laughs) Oh, I think they're they're great. (laughs) They're great companions. I'll send you some pictures, fellas.